1: Welcome to the Saturday edition of Coffee House Shots. I'm Cindy Yu and I'm joined by James Forsyth and Owen Matthews, the Spectator's Russia correspondent. So, over the last couple of weeks, when all minds and eyes have been on Boris Johnson and Partygate here in the UK, a bigger story is brewing potentially on the borders within Eastern Europe. Owen, why don't you start by explaining to us what's been happening on the Ukrainian border, where Russian troops seem to be amassing?
0: Well, you've already answered your own question. That's exactly what's happening on the border. The Russian troops are amassing. But actually, what's more significant is what's happening in Ukraine itself. And we've had a series of very boldly stated and definitively stated information leaks, which I think clearly come from Western or US intelligence. And those data points are that the Russians have supposedly been infiltrating agents into eastern Ukraine to destabilise this situation and possibly cause a provocation. That's how the uh, US authorities have put it. Secondly, the US has just sanctioned four individuals, four former Ukrainian government officials, all linked to a pro-Russian party, allegedly, again, like in the, in the US's iteration, for attempting to foment an alternative government in Kiev. And the third thing is that talks have begun in Geneva, rather fruitless so far, between the Russians and the US over Russia's set of December demands, which have been reiterated this week rather more forcefully by uh, Russia's Foreign Minister Lavrov. And the demands are these, that NATO discontinue its engagement and its military support for Ukraine, and rather more controversially and less realistically, that the NATO actually withdraw its international troops from the areas of NATO that are closest to Russia, in other words, Romania and Bulgaria, and return to the status quo ante pre 1997, when NATO expanded.
1: And Owen, it does seem like this is all bubbling along and increasing in tension. But are you saying that Russia's troops on the border have not increased per se since late last year when, when before talks started?
0: Well, or have they been
1: uh, ramping up the military presence as well?
0: Well, what we're talking about when we're talking about troops, the border movements and the Russian military exercises, is the crucial distinction between people who think there is going to be war and people that think, like myself, that there is not going to be war. And that distinction is the difference between capability and intent. Now, uh, I've heard from several analysts who have good security sources that the origin of the original American warning Back in December, that Russia was preparing an invasion, was that Russian commanders and senior commanders had actually been ordered to draw up actual operational plans for an invasion. Now, does the drawing up of operational plans actually signal political intent? That's the key question that we have to answer. And I think that actually the maneuvers are real. Putin could do it if he wanted to, they clearly have a plan to do it if they wish to, but I don't think he will. I think it's all just a gigantic bluff.
1: Mm. Well, James, obviously, I mean, actually, is it obvious that the British side disagree with Owen's analysis and that the Americans also think that there could be a war?
2: So I think, as Owen says, all of these things from, which are clearly from, let's be frank, from US intelligence, that, you know, the Russians might stage an attack on their own troops as a provocation to justify going in and the warnings about war and Russian plans... I think those are taken very seriously. I think the British view is always that the most dangerous period was later this month as the ground becomes harder and therefore kind of rolling tanks across the border becomes more realistic. I think the weather has made that slightly more complicated. But I think no one really knows. What is going on essentially is Vladimir Putin looks at all the US rhetoric about saying let's focus on China that is the preeminent threat to us. And I think he is pushing. I think he is saying, right, so you say you want to focus on China. Are you really prepared to pull back from Europe to a significant extent? And so he is probing and probing. He is trying to create Western disunity. And it is quite clear that different Western countries have different views on how far they should go and um terms of what they're doing on Ukraine. You know, the UK is is very forward-leaning. You know, it is sending British troops to train Ukrainians how to use weapons that the UK is is selling them. And I think the kind of the the London Washington view is that the Russians are deterrable if you suggest to them that the costs of invading Ukraine, both in terms of sanctions and in terms of the damage that the Ukrainian forces could do to them are substantial that they will back down the thing that slightly puzzles me and owen would have a much better way of explaining it than than i would is some of these russian demands seem clearly impossible for the us and nato to agree to and so which
1: ones do you have in mind
2: well you know the idea of basically pulling nato forces out of nato member states right you know you can't have a Two tier membership of NATO like that. And that is something that puzzles me why they are asking for things that are impossible. I think that one striking thing that people, are, you know, and again, I totally defer to Owen on this, is that, you know, people are saying that there has been no attempt to prepare the Russian public for war. And it is very hard to believe that a substantial invasion of Ukraine, by which I mean not just replacing Russian proxy forces in eastern Ukraine with Russian forces, the ukrainians would fight and it would be a very very bloody conflict i think and there doesn't seem to be any any attempt made to prepare the russian public for that which makes me wonder whether putin is serious about it but i think what you see in geneva is is a kind of shadow boxing between the us and russia i think there is an element that putin likes the idea of you know It is slightly back to the early 80s. You know, the Russian foreign minister and the US Secretary of State meet on neutral territory to discuss things. It does make Russia look a big player on the world stage. But I think there is still a lot of nervousness in Whitehall that the Russians really are serious about this.
1: Well, Owen, you say it's a bluff. And if they're bluffing, then they want something. But as James says, maybe some of their demands are a little bit outrageously, you know, unacceptable to the West. So, So, What are they bluffing for?
0: I agree almost completely with James. It's essentially an exercise in attention-seeking by Putin. It's a gigantic bluff and is not going to happen for one very simple reason. So I just got back from Moscow. I was there for several weeks. And the striking thing is that there is actually no war drums beating on Russian state television. And if you're going to do something as unpopular as we know from polling by the Levada Center, the last independent polling center in Russia, if you know that it's very unpopular, especially among young people who are actually going to have to fight this war, then clearly, if you're actually going to do it, you're going to prepare the Russian public very, very thoroughly. And there is no sign of that. Which means, very simply, that the Russian public is not the audience at which this bluff is aimed. It's aimed at Washington. And the key to understanding this story in a nutshell is, if Putin is going to pretend to be serious about invading Ukraine, then the West is going to pretend to take it seriously. It's just a war of words. Words are cheap. If it doesn't happen, then Biden can walk away. If the invasion doesn't happen, Biden walks away like we deterred Russia, brilliant. You know, that was just because our rhetoric was so, was so terrifying that, that Putin put back down. <laughs> Why is Putin doing it? It's very simple. He has no allies, unlike the Soviet Union, which had allies across half the countries of the world. Putin has managed to alienate all of his allies. His only regional ally is Belarus, more or less. He has very little traction in his region. And the only thing that he has is heavy metal, and therefore he's engaged in heavy metal diplomacy. And why is he over-asking? Why is he making these ridiculous demands? Does he really think that the West is going to roll over and say, like, oh, yes, sorry, Vladimir, like, you know, we made a terrible mistake in 1997, in expanding, we're going, to, we're going to withdraw NATO troops from Bulgaria and Romania? Absolutely not. But it's just a negotiating tactic. It's a big ask in order yeah. to get something that he really wants. What he really wants is NATO's commitment not to engage further in Ukraine what he really 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 wants is uh, realistically is not to add Ukraine back into the Russian empire that's insane that's never going to happen it can't happen militarily politically that's just not on his agenda whatever Anthony Blinken might say what he really wants is actually for Ukraine to be neutral and potentially in some future point actually friendly but certainly neutral and this is all about that So all of the heavy metal diplomacy, all of the diplomatic over-asking, it's all about getting to a place where the West takes Russia seriously and has serious second thoughts about further engagement with Ukraine. That's his purpose.
1: Mm. So, Owen, are you suggesting that the West is engaging this kind of Pascal's wager? Like if Putin is serious, then we might as well take him seriously. But if not, then it looks good for us anyway, that they're all playing a game.
0: Well, because they have to play the game, because if they don't take it seriously, if they say like, oh, whatever, it's not going to happen, we don't take you seriously, Vladimir Putin, you know, you're just a bluffer then he's going to push further. So Mm. the point is that the reason why I believe that they're taking a strategic decision to make some very, I mean, unprecedentedly aggressive statements about Putin and Russia and the consequences of it is not because they think he's going to do it, but just because just in case he were ever to think of doing it, it's just to draw that line in the sand to actually demonstrate NATO unity, which has not, in fact, been a complete success, as James alluded to. NATO unity is not quite as unified as could have been hoped for. And I think that's also part of Putin's plan, is sort of divide and conquer and actually sort of probe. And the way he probes is, you know, he rattles a sabre, and he's actually doing a very good job of scaring lots of people in the West, including the entire Russian analyst establishment in in Washington and London and in the Ministry of Defence, into actually taking him seriously.
1: Well, James, you know, what Owen describes is almost like a dance, but isn't it a bit scary that these global leaders are playing this kind of game with each other? And what about the chances of a misstep?
2: So I take Owen's point that sometimes in the West, we can be too tempted to see Putin is this brilliant chess player and that everything is, every move he makes, you know, must have, you know. Who was it who, um, when they died, Talleyrand, they said, you know, when he died, what did he mean by that, you know, kind of question. <laughs> that You know, we, we ascribe motive to Putin that he must be playing on some other kind of 3D chess game. <laughs> but I think he has already got some things out of this, which is, you know... He has raised hackles about what the US role is. You know, you see Macron's comments in the European Parliament this week about, you know, well, look, why are the Americans and the Russians basically debating European security and and the EU is not at the table? So he he has succeeded in sowing dissent there. I think he has also exposed something that's been hiding in plain sight with the two major defence powers in Europe, the UK and France have very different attitudes to how you deal with this U.S. pivot to to the Pacific, which is the U.K. view is, you know, we lean forward, you must keep the U.S. engaged in NATO, and you must pick up more of a slack and look at how the U.K. is trying to do that, you know, offering not only to send British troops to Ukraine to train Ukrainian forces on weapon systems, but also to send more British forces to those NATO countries that are on the front line against Russia compared to France, whose view is, well, look, if we're going to have to take more responsibility for security in the neighbourhood, we would like to basically set the direction of of policy more. And then you add into that, the fact that the Germans are clearly not sure what to do, you know, reports in the German press this morning that Olaf Scholz, the new German Chancellor, turned down an invitation to go to Washington to discuss policy on Ukraine, saying that he had to stay in Germany because of a coronavirus situation. He then travelled to Madrid, which last time I looked was not in germany so i think that you know, he has clearly succeeded in terms of pulling out some of these tensions i think there is an interesting question here which is i think that moscow always thought that ultimately ukraine would be split between you know eastern ukraine and western ukraine russian speakers and ukrainian speakers and that would make it very hard for ukraine to become a successful. State. I think that the current Ukrainian government is doing much better than any previous Ukrainian government has in terms of fostering a sense of Ukrainian nationhood that spans both Russian speakers and Ukrainian speakers. And so I think. But that that is the kind of concern for Putin, which is, it does look like, to Owen's point, that Ukraine is not going to have a neutral alignment. It's going to have a kind of Western alignment. And I think to Putin, that is ultimately unacceptable. I mean, the question is, you know, can he kind of go above Ukraine's head and get, as Owen said, NATO to essentially cut Ukraine off and say, right, you just sit there as a buffer state, neither one thing nor the other. Or is Ukraine going to kind of, progressively join the western orbit
1: mm. oh and, i mean feel free to come back on that but also and finally what, what do you think is going to happen next then and what should the west be doing if it's not going to war
0: well, the, the, what's going to happen next is Putin's just going to continue trying to extract as much diplomatic leverage out of this as, as, as possible. Um, He's just going to keep talking and talking and talking. And when it all blows over, he hopes that the impression that will be left, that there will be you know, serious misgivings, particularly among the European NATO allies, about actually engaging with, with Ukraine. And uh, that will be his goal. I mean, his problem is of his own making, exactly as James says. In gaining Crimea, he lost Ukraine. Just because, simply because of the electoral arithmetic. For until the 2014 invasion of Crimea, annexation of Crimea, Ukrainian politics was basically a seesaw, east, west. It went Ukrainian speaking, Russian speaking, back and forth throughout the, the history of the independence of, of, of Ukraine since 1991. When you take away the 13 million pro Russian, Russian speakers of Crimea, then the electoral arithmetic just swings the other way and plus two million more in Donbass, which has not been annexed, but it's, it's not obviously under the control of Kiev. So therefore, in annexing Crimea and sort of splitting off eastern Ukraine, he's basically, Putin's basically ensured that there will never be a pro-Moscow government in Kiev ever again. And you can see by the very poor fortunes of Medvedchuk's, for instance, pro-Russian party, is that Ironically, he's actually, by attacking Ukraine in 2014, he did more to forge a sense of Ukrainian statehood than anyone in the history of Ukraine. It's the exact opposite. And I fear that actually, uh, I don't fear, but I predict that if this heavy metal diplomacy is certainly inside Ukraine, and maybe inside NATO as well, going to have the precise contrary effect, just as 2014 did, is that actually... The one way to really accelerate the eventual accession and the engagement of NATO with with Ukraine is to threaten it. If you Moscow, is to be threatened by Moscow, and the way to actually make Ukrainians hate Russia, fear Russia, and cleave to the West is to proceed precisely as he's doing. So actually, the problem is that you know while he's at the table and feels like he's a. Leader of a superpower once more, and he loves the atmospherics and the great power diplomacy and everything. But actually, in practical terms, Putin is not a sort of three D chess player. He's an idiot. He's actually sort of <laughs> completely shooting himself in the foot. He's achieving the precise contrary to what he intends.
1: Well, that's a very cheerful note to end this Saturday edition of Coffee House Shots. On thank you very much, Owen Matthews, for um, <laughs> saying that there's not going to be war in Europe. And um, James, thank you very much.